This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and supporting listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate, or visit Patreon.com backslash TwoHeadedNerd to become a supporter today. Ha-cha! Broadcasting from the Ziggurat in Omaha, deep below the metro area. This is something we used to do every week, but now, you know, it's every once in a while. It's still our pleasure to welcome you to episode 560 of the Two of the Nerd comic book podcast. I'm not blaming Joe Patrick, so I'm going out of town next week. Oh, is that next week? No, the 17th, I believe. So not next week, the week after. All right. Yeah. Deal with it. Uh... Are you going to introduce yourself? Yeah. Uh, welcome to episode 560 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. Nerds, my name is Matt Baum. I know. It's been a while. We've done this 560 times. We've done it 560 times, but when was the last time we actually did it in the same room? Yeah, that's your fault. That's not my fault. It ain't my fault. Yeah, that's your fault. It ain't my fault. Yeah. Hey, anyway, I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. This week, we point the review spotlight on Marvel's latest X-Men and Fantastic Four tussle and the protector number one from Image. After that, it's time for Comics and Cocktails while we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics in the ludicrous speed round. Then it's up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we've carefully laid out bags and boards for our must-read comic picks for next week. And finally, it's time for another dispatch from across the pond. Stately Lord Fungus is here. But before we get the show started, Joe Patrick, it's time to come clean and admit that you tampered with the Iowa caucus to make Night Thrasher the winner. How'd that turn out for you? This is your chance to admit what you did and tell everyone who actually won. It was Andrew Yang, and if he wins, I plan on using that extra grand a month to CGC my new Warriors run. Yeah, too bad the liberal media is reporting that it was Butchie Gag. Huh? Buttigieg? Now that Joe's done meddling with our election system, we better talk about this week's nerd news. It's better than the actual News. Heard. Trust me. Yes. <laughs> yeah, dude, everything's on fire. Uh, from the last week's news desk, Rick Remender and his production company, Giant Generator, have signed a three-year overall deal with Sony Pictures Television, and they're already set to do a Fear Agent TV adaptation at Amazon. I like that name, Giant Generator. That's cool. It's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, this news comes from The Hollywood Reporter. They go on to say that Amazon beat out NBC's Peacock. Terrible name. And Warner Media's HBO Max and TNT, you know, the place you go for all your hard-hitting, gritty comic book drama. TNT, they're coming up. They've got some good stuff on there. What do they got on TNT? March Madness. That's pretty cool. How many many law and orders they got on TNT? All of them. Uh, (laughs) They were all in a bidding war. Literally all of them. It's on right now. Sure, yeah, I bet. Guarantee it. Uh, They were all in a bidding war on the Fear Agent adaptation as well. Here's Sony's logline for the show. That's disgusting. Logline. Like from your butt. Oh, come on. Interstellar invaders, time travel, clones of clones of clones, and lots of whiskey. Whether he's battling the scourge of space, going back in time to stop the alien invasion that changed Earth forever, or winning his ex-wife back, there's nothing that Heath Houston won't do to try to right the wrongs and get his family back. This is full of typos. It really is. He, I just figured you did a sloppy job. Hell no, dude. I cut and paste. paste. I don't Jesus, do this work. Guys. Uh, he is, after all, dot, 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 the fear agent. You weren't the biggest fan of fear agent. Uh, that's false. I never actually got that far into it. Oh, I thought you didn't get that far into it because you didn't love it. No, no, I just oh, didn't. I loved it. I, it's really, it's on my list. I really want to watch fear it. Fear agent is one of those books where it's not easy to read because 
of the pure just terror and punishment that Remender puts his main character through, but it is an incredible journey. And if it, I mean, like we're living in a, an era of golden age, feel bad TV. And there is no reason why we can't tell Fury agent that same way. We've already seen Remender have huge success. Deadly Deadly class, which was a wonderful show. And from my understanding, it wasn't a ratings issue. It was just like too expensive for sci-fi to continue making. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. They were like, this is so great. We love it. We hope we can work with you again, buddy. (laughs) It was a a profit and loss, uh, you know, analysis. This one's going to be written by the upcoming Batman films writer, Matt Tomlin, with the plot directed by Shazam's David F. Sandberg. He's also the producer. So Remeter and Tony Moore are producers and guess who else? Seth Rogen. Yeah, all right. Is that where you at all? No, because Remender and Tony Moore are there. They are there. Guess who wasn't there for the Preacher Show? Garth, Garth Ennis. Ennis. Uh, agreed. Agreed. And that is also not to say that Seth Rogen is the reason we didn't like the Preacher Show. I don't know. Maybe there's more going on Look, there. I've heard people express their people appreciation very much for like the it. show, but people that wanted it to be more like the comic were disappointed. I will say that is my biggest problem. Not that it is a bad show. It's not a bad show. It's just there's no reason to make decisions that are not as good as what happened in the comic on the TV show. Well, you know what? You know we're going mean? to talk about this a little bit on Saturday. Uh, I'm totally stunned to learn just before I came over here that Lock and Key comes out on Friday. Yeah. Uh, this on weekend. Netflix. Yeah, I can't uh, wait. And I read a review on Newsarama, a spoiler-free review, but they did say, look, it's not a nat- it's not like a note-for-note adaptation no. of the and show. Joe Hill said that, too. He's like, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. I didn't want to do a straight-up adaptation so and that's fine like we should be we should have there should be room in the discussion to say hey look i know this isn't exactly the comic yes. but and if you're going to make decisions that are better like i would argue the first few seasons of uh uh walking dead absolutely did made some decisions that i liked better on the show than in the comics i'm fine with that but if you're going to make decisions that i don't particularly care for and wander away from plots and stuff that were so great and integral yeah, that's what gets me. Yeah, I mean, there was stuff about Preacher that I didn't immediately latch on to, like the way they kind of changed the relationships right. a bit. And the amount um, of time they spent in Texas and stuff. Yeah, like to, we like, don't need a whole season getting in Anvil. On the goddamn road. Yeah, you know? right, exactly. That was a road story. Yeah, the whole yeah. thing was a road story. Yeah. Well, and I'll revisit that sometime down the line, but this isn't the Preacher cast. No. I am excited for this. Yes. Rick Roman. I wish that he had this deal in place when uh, Deadly Class was on. Yeah, it's, it's almost too bad, but he apparently... Apparently, he, being like head producer on that, does own the rights to it. They could and bring it back if they and wanted. And he's not to. saying anything, but there was like yeah. a while ago, he was like, I know this seems like doom and gloom, and I'm sorry, but there may be good news for Deadly Class in the future. Hopefully. I mean, I know who's got more. Hopefully. I know who's got more money than the sci-fi channel. Yeah. Amazon. Well, and look, we've seen shows like getting canceled and then pi- Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Perfect example. Yeah, rescued. Fox owned that shit. And yep. NBC was like, bring that shit to me, man. You know, yeah, yeah. And, and great. It's coming back this month, I believe. Brooklyn Nine-Nine comes back tomorrow. Oh, is it tomorrow? Mm-hmm. Season awesome. premiere. Awesome. Now that the good place is over. Oh, please. <sighs> From the real reason to watch the Super Bowl desk, Marvel Studios had a whirlwind week of reveals and schedule changes. Everybody loves those. Here are your highlights. The Falcon and the Winter Soldier's release date has been moved up even further from fall 2020 to this damn August. I know. Happy birthday to me. WandaVision, which was originally set for 2021, then an unspecified 2020 date has been firmly scheduled for December. 
Marvel Studios aired a brief spot during the Super Bowl this Sunday, showing the first footage from the aforementioned Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision. But we got a little peek at Loki. Tiny little peek at Loki. Well, yeah, yeah. Is all I need to go, woo. Yep. <laughs> we saw Sam throw the shield for the first time. That was neat. We saw the return of Baron Zemo, a blink, and you'll miss an appearance by the U.S. agent. Did you catch that? What the freak? Yeah, dude. <laughs> Did you see the set photos of the guy in full costume yeah. from the front? Yes. Looks, looks great. Awesome. Wyatt Russell, the son of Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn, is your U.S. agent. I love him. I don't really recognize him from anything. I love him. He was on an episode of Black Mirror that was fantastic. And he's recently been in a show on AMC called Lodge 49 about, like, a surfer dude that joins, like, a Shriner Lodge. And he thinks there's all this conspiracy and, like, (laughs) Shriner shit and Illuminati shit. And they're like, yeah. Sure. <laughs> and they want him to join and pay his dues because they have nobody there and there's no conspiracy. Oh, he was in Overlord. I wanted to see that. It was great. Oh, he wasn't that. It was really, it was, it's too scary for you. Nah. Yeah. You couldn't handle it. Nah. It's, it's, it's really as long gross. as Nazis are getting killed. Yeah, it's really gross. Oh. We got brief glimpses of WandaVision where we were shown that it looked like various takes on classic TV sitcoms. So now we definitely know Something's something happening. is going yeah. on yeah. with the two of them. Like they have been taken out. Right. Maybe they're in a prison or some psychological Well, he's thing. dead. Last time we saw. And we thought, yeah. Uh, but we see her in a version of her classic red costume with a tiara. Yeah. Uh, we see her pregnant briefly. Then he, Now, wait a minute. He did not come back in the end of Avengers. Nope. That's right. No. He was not there. Uh, he was in the In Memoriam slideshow in Spider-Man yes, Far From Home. that's true. Uh, we also see Wanda and Vision standing beside twin cribs. Uh, it all looks very Tom King-ish. Yeah. Whoa, whoa. Crazy, crazy. Whoa, whoa, crazy, crazy. We saw Loki for just a moment. He looks to be a prisoner of something called TVA. Mm-hmm. Most likely a reference to the Time Variance Authority. Yes. That's fun. I like that. Deep cut. They're a group that polices time travel and multiversal events in Marvel Comics with both Loki and WandaVision tying into the upcoming Doctor Strange sequel. It looks like the multiverse shenanigans are just getting started for phase four of the MCU. Yeah. Uh, Uh, The Time Variance Authority created by Walt Simonson and Sal Buscema during his run on Thor. And silly but fun. Uh, yeah, they uh, (laughs) so it was a, a room full of bureaucrats with completely blank faces like the question uh the upper brass all looked like editor mark gruenwald right uh and they had a bunch of um enforcers and i don't remember if they were called justices i think they're called justices but it was definitely a judge dread ripoff right (laughs) disney ceo bob Iger revealed there are even more disney plus shows in development that have not been revealed in addition to those we just talked about we've also got miss marvel moon knight hawkeye she hulk and hulu stuff so Ghost Rider got canceled. Yeah. Uh, right the, out the gate. The no. Tigra and Huntress show got canceled. Do we know that it Tigra got canceled and- or did they not like the treatment? And they were like, nah, come back to us. No, they now. were just like, nope. Canceled. Canceled, yeah. Kevin Smith's Howard the Duck show got canceled. Yeah. But Hellstrom is still in the works. Right. They're still in talks with Kevin Feige to do something on ABC. Yeah. So Don't need it. Don't need it. I think we've already ripped that bandaid off. No, we're done. if Kevin Feige does it, I need it. Hmm. I just want, let's just keep it all in-house. That's no, they're going to spread that shit out. They want yeah. It's going to be like Marvel Comics on the rack. They want to take up the, as much shelf space as they can. I mean, I get that, but you own Hulu. You own the Marvel app. Why not just keep it where you can absolutely control everything and make the most money? Because like Disney not owns everybody ABC, has Disney I get that Plus. Too, but 
Some lots of people have Hulu and not Disney Plus. Yeah, well, that's just because the Mandalorian's not on right now. They'll all buy it again as soon as <laughs> yeah, okay. Cap and Falcon comes back. Uh, this is a lot. This is a lot of stuff. Yeah, uh, it's. A, I think it's great that the shows have moved up the schedule because I think they needed to. It was way too long of a wait. Yeah, you're going to get too far away, and our next movie isn't until it's Black Widow on Free Comic. Book oh Day. yeah, that's right, Black Widow. But I mean, like Free next Comic Book Day weekend, new school movie, new characters and stuff. That's Eternals not until, like, Eternals. in November. Yeah, right. So we need something to keep us so excited. Falcon and Winter Soldier will now come out after. Black Widow right. before Eternals, so they'll be. Chances are they will touch on something. We'll we'll have some stuff to talk about. Yeah, um, it wouldn't surprise me at all if something in the Black Widow leads into this. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not completely sold that Black Widow is entirely in flashback. Yeah, I'm not either. I think there may be something there, even if it's just a cookie credit or something. There may be or something that happens in the flashback that reoccurs in a cookie credit in the modern day that leads straight into. Sure, sure. You know, and it could be Zemo related. Who knows? Yeah. Yep. Um, I, I will tell you though, seeing Sam throw that shield, that was cool. It did a thing to me. Yeah, that was cool. <laughs> that was neat. Yeah, they look good. I'm excited for all of it. Give it to me. From the Wally was better off dead desk. He really was. De- God. He really was. Just don't even get me. Yeah, started. we wanted him back, and we got there. Go, you want that? Here you go. And we're yeah. like, no, 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 no. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, DC has announced Generation Zero, which will be their main offering for this year's free comic book day. And it will tease the publisher's future with a story centered on, you guessed it, Wally West. The story is being described in publicity material as the start of the, quote, march towards DC's future, end quote, which is something much of the comics world has known as 5G for a while now. Now that Congress is over Huawei spying on us, they're going to let DC move ahead with their 5G network, <laughs> yeah. which is good. You'll have to upgrade your plan, but yeah, it'll yeah. be worth it in the long totally run. Totally worth it. Uh, the one shot will be split between two stories. One will be a reprint of the Scott Snyder, Brian Hitch uh, collabo from Wonder Woman 750, in which Wonder Woman was revealed as the world's first superhero. Here's where it gets weird. Weird, yes, and not totally disappointing. <laughs> the other part will be an original story by Scott Lobdell and Brett Booth, an epilogue to the duo's Flash Forward miniseries. I'm just glad they're both working. Which <laughs> is going to wrap up on February 19th. Uh, here is a description of the issue with huge spoilers it's for like the like when Lee end. Major shows up in a Hallmark movie. You know, like, good for you, Lee. <laughs> uh, huge spoilers ahead for the end of Flash Forward two weeks from now. Thanks, DC. In order to save his children and the multiverse itself, Wally West makes the ultimate sacrifice, taking his place on the Mobius chair. Perfect. Unbeknownst to him, the chair is packing a little extra power, having been imbued with the godlike powers of Dr. Manhattan. Because, you know, that makes sense. We saw that happen. Yes. Remember when we saw that Definitely happen? saw it Dr. happen. Dr. Manhattan yeah. pooped in the Mobius chair, and he went, he oh, did. no, yes. that was some of my power. Yes. And the Mobius chair went, it's mine now. <laughs> That's how it works. Uh, now, armed with infinite knowledge and the powers of a god, Wally West can see the past, present, and future of the DC Universe all at once. Dot, dot, dot. Including what needs to be changed. Oh, good. Maybe we'll murder some more people. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we got the, we got to see the Francis Manipole cover. Uh, it's got Wally front and center sporting Dr. Manhattan's signature forehead symbol. What is going on? And he's surrounded by various incarnations of DC's iconic heroes through the decades, including multiple Supermen, the new 52 Justice League, 
the classic Wolfman and Perez, Teen Titans, and Booty Shorts, Pixie Boots, Robin. But this is just like, let's be real. They've done this shit before. They've done this shit before, yeah. and it's just glimpses of like, oh, that was a glimpse into a multiverse of past Here's what, or whatever. what happened once upon a time. Right. Yeah, yeah. And then they'll be like, here's several one-shots and miniseries spinning yes, out of yeah, that. Right. Uh, and, of course, the Batman who laughs because we haven't quite beaten that horse to My death God. yet. Yeah. Does anyone still care? I don't give a shit about the Batman who really? laughs. And seriously. Uh, nothing with it is going on in the pages of Batman or Detective. Well, it's happening it's in just Batman like, Superman right it's, now. Yeah, it's, it's happening just in the team of thing. Yeah. Uh, I don't want this. Yeah, I don't want it either. <laughs> I don't want this. The only good thing that this that could be, and this is me guessing, is this all sounds very event that will be pretty self-contained, maybe have a few miniseries, and then it goes away. We don't ever have to think well, about it Well, if this is the setup for the whole 5G thing, I think DC's hinging a lot on it. Yeah. And but they've if it given it to Scott Lobdell. If it leads into it and then they do something, there's no way this is the big thing that does it. And they're like, well, Scott Lobdell. Gonna, like, I don't think he's going to be no. the event guy. No. There's no way they're like, Scott Lobdell, you're the guy. You're the architect. <laughs> so far, you look what you've done. Let's just look at your long really story career. It out of the park. And the fans, they fucking love you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, like, no, there's no fucking way. I, I, on the one hand, I am on some level pleased that Wally is still around. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's what you're taking from on this. On some level. <laughs> uh, He's Metron with Dr. Manhattan's head. Fuck. Now. You on know? the other hand, I don't. <sighs> Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Take Wally West out. Yeah. Make it Metron. Sure. Why not? Fine. It makes more goddamn sense. Dr. Manhattan killed Metron. So? He's a god. (laughs) Okay. How many times have the new gods died? Look, man. And come back. It's like what they do. I'm just telling you like it is. I'm just saying. I don't get this like hard on that they have for Wally West in the most ridiculous places. Why can't he just settings. be Wally West? Yes, that's just it. It's like, no, 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 because that's that's not what the Wally West fans want. They want him to be yeah. fucking Metron? He's tortured. Yeah. He's traumatized. I don't He's a murderer. Right. Fuck off. And I get like introducing a new character to it, it's stupid too, but like just do it with anybody else. I don't know. Yeah, it's I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I barely care. And I do think that this is probably a lead in to the event that is the thing. Right. At best. But I don't think this one shot's going to end with Wally being out of the picture. I still no, think no, 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 no. Like, that dumb idea will definitely be. They've there. got this Dr. Manhattan boner yeah. and they're not letting it go. I'm just uh, saying. Like, I thought Doomsday Clock was going to be the end of this Watchmen bullshit. Yeah. Scott Lobdell is not driving. He's driving the truck, but he's not driving it off the he's mountain. He's not the navigator. Yeah. Somebody else will drive it off the mountain. <laughs> <laughs> That is your nerd news for the week, but I'm sure we missed plenty of other stories while responding to angry emails from the Lobdell family. So hit us up on the THN Forum's big news section, or better yet, tune in to our cover-to-cover show live every Saturday where we broadcast on our Facebook page from 11 to noon Central Standard Time. It's better than accepting our country's doom at the hands of our bright orange overlord who is now free to do whatever he wants. 
and you control the content. This week, we want to know, what did you think the best music cue from your favorite nerdy movie was? We're not talking about your favorite song from a score or a soundtrack, but the best use of music in a particular moment. You know, like that scene where the hero turned around and lifted the surfboard and went, surfs up. And then the music was like, the bass dropped, wow! And then he like knocked a zombie shark back into the ocean, you know? Yeah, exactly like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Exactly like <laughs> yeah. that. So call us on the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Or you can click the Call Now button on our Facebook page. And please, join us live on Facebook Live and chat with us, too. We yeah. love it. And if you can't be there live, that's okay, too. You can leave us a message on said phone line, or you can send us an MP3 to TwoHeadedNerd at gmail.com. It's spotlight review time in the Ziggurat. This week, we play Tecmo Super Bowl to decide who goes first, and Matt's Chiefs squad, led by QB Steve DeBerg, proved to be too much for Steve Young and my 49ers. See, it's a funny joke because Steve Young is a Hall of Famer, and Steve DeBerg is probably bagging groceries somewhere. So. <laughs> I'm glad you explained it. Champs, go first, Matt. My review is actually for a comic that came out last week, but it was so good that I want to talk about it. It's called Protector. This was number one of five. It's from Image. It's written by Simon Roy and Daniel M. Benson with art by Artyom Trakhanov, Jason Wordy, and Hassan Otsmani Ilau. And I'm sorry. <laughs> okay? <laughs> I'm not a racist. I'm just an idiot. Okay? Yeah. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. From aforementioned creative team comes a sci-fi adventure equal parts Conan the Barbarian, Mad Max, and the expanse of all the tribes that dwell in the hot ruins of the far future North America. The Hudsoni reign supreme, but even they fear and obey the godlike Devas. When the Devas warn of an old world demon in the conquered city of Chicago, Hudsoni, you get like Chicago. I get it, get yeah. It? See? Mm -hmm. Hudsoni war chief First Knife decides to deal with the threat personally. Simon Roy has a very unique voice when it comes to sci-fi. If you're looking for an amazing and bizarre read, look no further than his 2012 Profit reboot at Image that transformed Rob Liefeld's cable facsimile into a time-displaced soldier that woke up to an alien world long after the fall of humanity. Here, Roy and his writing partner Benson set up a more grounded story set roughly a thousand years in Earth's future. Climate change has destroyed the face of North America and different tribes control the old Northeast US and Canada in a largely tech-free society, but on the skeleton of the world we know full of traders, farmers, and soldiers. Trakhanov's designs are amazing, and they show a lot of work went into the different clans and people that he's drawing. His figures are bulky, dark-skinned, and wearing rough-hewn armor. They just look tough. The world he illustrates is goes everywhere from barren landscapes with shark rocks and where these colors use these black shadows, really dark black to make the sun look even brighter on the desert. Some of the panels are drawn from very far off perspective with a character highlighted by a small red circle just to show you the raw size of this barren wasteland that they are in. From there, the story switches to the north where a ruling tribe lives in sort of a coastal forest area and rules with the help of an alien force. 
The design and look of the North is paired with a color change from the reds of the desert to these soft blues and greens. This world the creative team has built is fully realized and helps to immerse the reader into a script that's full of kind of strange future speak. It never got annoying. And these, <clears throat> pardon me, never got annoying. The people in the book are fighting to carve their existence in a postmodern society. Protector sets up an amazing world with mystery, back matter that shows how this society works, and it's packed with amazing, chunky art that reminds me of greats like Richard Corbin and Johnny Christmas. This book was just cool. And I'm giving it a buy it. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, yeah. I liked it a lot. Um, like you said, it, it's a really fully thought out oh, yeah. uh, society that they, they came at created. This with not only an idea for a story and a mystery, but a fully rendered, like, this is what happened to the planet Earth. Yeah. And oh man, it's cool. yeah. It, there's a there's two or three pages of the back matter where they like explain the differences between the various tribes and and what the terrain looks like and stuff. And I will admit that at first, maybe I wasn't paying close enough attention or I was reading a little too fast. But it took me a while to to go oh Chicago. <laughs> no, I, I, okay. Midway through the book, I was like, oh my god, yeah, this is Earth. And then I looked at the so, there's like a caption that says North America or something again, and, and yeah. solicit says North America. Right? right yeah. Yeah. Hey, moron. Right. Exactly. <laughs> like, so oh. that's our bad for our attention to detail being deficient. But yeah, like once it dawned on me, like, oh, this is America. Like this is North America. Yeah. Not just America, but it bleeds into Canada. Um, and these are all like how these regions have evolved. Right. Like Chicago is barren desert. Yeah. It is blasted earth. Uh, the, and below there is probably even worse. Yeah. Uh, the art was amazing. I agree. Yeah. Uh, it, it's very smart. Very. It's very, very yeah. smart. You know, it like there's a lot of great sci-fi books and that's not to say, I don't mean to say that like some of them are dumb, but I mean, some of them are on a different level. Yeah. You know, they're, they're more like, there's a very high concept. Exciting stuff. flashbang. Right. You know? Or like super technical world where you yeah. can't imagine what the, this is more of like, it's very high in concept, but very grounded. Yeah, like, like it's like a geopolitical. Yes. College course, uh, bolted onto this post apocalypse. It's great. Yeah. I'm with an alien mystery. It. Very yeah. cool. Loved it. Joe Patrick, let's get into some family fighting, shall we? We will. All right. I am reviewing X-Men plus Fantastic Four number one. Not versus. Which is apparently what it's called. Plus. Yes. Uh, this is from Marvel Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, with art by Terry and Rachel Dodson, ink assists by Dexter Vines and Carl Story, color art by Laura Martin, letters by Virtual Calligraphy's Joe Caramagna. It's 40 pages for $4.99, and here is your solicit. Krakoa! Every mutant on Earth lives there, not except true. Except for one. There's that's <laughs> also not true. more than one. Yeah, that's not true at all. <laughs> but now it's time for Franklin Richards to come home. It's the X Men versus the Fantastic Four. Not plus. Not versus. according to the title, <laughs> and nothing will ever be the same. From the very beginning of House of X, Marvel has promised us the inevitable confrontation between the X Men and the Fantastic Four over the fate of Franklin. And now, as a weakening Franklin doubts his place in his team and family... There's a brunette now, too. Yeah, he dyed his hair. Yeah. Uh, the mutants have finally come to take him away. At least, that's how the FF sees it. This feels like a classic superhero team-up story in the best way. They fight, they have a misunderstanding, 
they tuck it out, mm-hmm. they fight a little bit more, things get heavy. It helps that Chip Zdarsky calls back to the original Fantastic Four versus the X-Men series from 1987 as the Krakoan Quiet Council wants to capitalize on, or exploit, Kate Pride's connection with Franklin. Zdarsky also echoes the thematic elements of the original story. Back then, seeds of doubt are planted in the minds of the FF when it is supposedly revealed that Reed intentionally left the rocket unshielded, knowing it would transform them into something more. Here, it's more complicated that you should read it. Right. Here, Franklin consorts with his Uncle Ben, wondering if Reed is subconsciously refusing to cure them, feeling that his father fears his strength but needs Ben's. Like, of all the miraculous things he can do, right. why, why can't, can't he fix, fix us? us? It's a great character moment that highlights Franklin's growing doubts and Ben's quiet resolve. It's a really good panel, too, art-wise, where you just see Ben's face. Yeah. And, and he gets like, like he's listening, and he's kind of like, yeah. And then all of a sudden, he's like, hmm. Yeah. Kind of making this. The way this. Terry Dodson And then draws just the a thing. finger, like, in the yeah. next panel, point him and goes, don't. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Like, I know what you're trying to do here, kid. It was a great scene. The classic superhero team-up tropes show up eventually with Sue Storm, of all people, being the first to rush to violence. But Zdarsky quickly brings it all back to the characters. There aren't really any villains in this story, at least not until the last page. Franklin would probably very much benefit from spending time on Krakoa. And the existence of the teleport gates means that he would never be far from his family. On the other hand, Reed and Sue Richards are right to want to protect Franklin and keep him close to family. Through it all, though, Zdarsky does a pitch-perfect job juggling a huge ensemble without losing their individual voices. Let's just talk about that idea for a second. Because Reed Richards is a very smart guy. Yeah. Reed Richards understands how the Krakoan teleportation thing works. Right. Knows that he would be, boom, come and go. Come have dinner and then go back to Krakoa. Whatever. Fine. And how many times has Reed gotten onto a spaceship, walked through a dimensional gate, and left his family for, I don't know, Hundreds of years. <laughs> I mean, I don't you know, know if it's an, like, I don't know if it's an on, issue man. of safety. <laughs> like, uh, but uh, like from a parenting standpoint, like the idea that these people are up to things that right. I don't necessarily he, agree with or understand, and, and I'm not totally really them. crazy with my yeah. son leaving to go live with them. And he does have a line th- that kind of sums up because yeah. I was getting to a point this where is, I was like, why? Why are we doing this? This is my favorite. Uh, this is my favorite bit in the issue. It's when Reed points out that in a couple of years, Franklin would be an adult. And he'd be able to decide to visit or live on Krakoa on his own. But he knows that Xavier has a specific timeline in mind, yes. which is hella shady. Right. He's like, I'm, I'd be fine with it a yeah. little bit, but why has it got to be right now? When it got to that line, I'm like, that seems funny, huh? Yeah. Why yes. now? Why, yeah. Reed? Why? Yeah. The entire art team does a tremendous job here. I've always loved the Dodson's work. There's kind of a wide-eyed wonder in everything they render, mm-hmm. uh, from the background activity on Krakoa to the more down-to-earth greediness of Yancey Street that creates a sense of living in a breathing superhero world. But there's also a softness to the way they approach their characters that allows readers to connect with them. It's especially effective in the more emotional scenes like uh, Kitty and Franklin's reunion and when Reed and Sue are having a heartfelt talk about like Franklin just doesn't understand that I'm not perfect. Right. (laughs) You know, I'm not a God, you know, I'm just Reed. Laura Martin's colors along with Dexter Vines and Carl Story's help on inks bring the whole thing to life. It looks gorgeous. I've been saying for a while now that Chip Zdarsky is one of the strongest writers in the Marvel bullpen. Pair that with a top notch art team and X-Men 
plus versus Fantastic Four <laughs> is a must read for fans of either of these two families. I'm giving it a huge buy it. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Dexter Vines. He was diagnosed with multiple myeloma, oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, which is a cancer that attacks the plasma of the blood. And it caused two of the vertebrae in his lower back to fracture. Yeah. Uh, of course, his insurance is not going to pay for all of it. So his friends have set up a GoFundMe uh, to pay for treatments and his living expenses. I will link to that in the show notes. But yeah, shout out to Dexter Vines. Damn. Well, we all agree it's his fault that he's poor. Yes, it's also yeah. his fault that he got cancer. That's what you get. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. I mean, you, only the poor get cancer. You live in America, son. Keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, how badly did you want Chip Zdarsky to start writing Fantastic Four after you read this? Yeah, uh, big time. Instantly. <laughs> yeah, big and, it, time. and I realize it's one of the things that's been missing from the Dan Slot book is that like family feeling. It's just well, and the thing like is, Dan Slott says it all I the time. I think he's trying. He I think trying. he's trying. It's it just not landing. It's not working. Yeah. And the first time that we saw Sue talk to Reed in this book, I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. That's, when she came to him and she, and she was talking about Franklin is worried because he's losing his powers. Right. And she was like, remember when I was in college and I was or when I was in high school and I was playing soccer and I was really good. Yeah. And I was getting all these offers to go to colleges and stuff, and then I broke my ankle, and it was all over. She's like, that was awful. It was terrifying because you feel like you're special, and you got this thing, and then it's taken away from you. You're still a human being. You're not yeah. going to die. Right. But it was yours. And I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah. That is so perfectly it's, Sue it's heavy. talking yeah. to Reed. Like, that is what – and that's what's not in that Dan Slot book. Yeah. This was fantastic, and it's a story that writes itself. Franklin is a mutant. Yep. Of course. Something's going on. And Professor X is not just worried about Franklin. He's like, well, what if this happens to someone else? This is a great chance to study this. It just makes sense. They're not forcing it at all. Right. And I also liked that they had a tussle and the X-Men saw what was going on with the family and were like, oh, looks like our work here is done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like through it, through it all, there is a there is a very Reed Richards as a jerk moment. Right. Yeah. You didn't see that coming, right. genius. But with that said, you don't bring Wolverine on this party. Yeah, like, what's he going to do? <laughs> I don't bring Wolverine, and I certainly don't bring Magneto. Like, well, you bring I, Mag Magneto's like, mm, he's I, like the vice president. I get it, but still, it'd be like, hey, Reed, you know, and the gang, they kind of know you a different way. Maybe bring the good guys. Yeah, what yeah, if Jubilee yeah. comes? You know, what if sure, uh, yeah. uh, Bobby, Bobby's fine. Everybody likes right. Iceman, you know. I mean, Pyro, sure. with his face tattoo. No, nope, nope, he stays back, you know. We don't show up with <laughs> Nur either, you know, or whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> Uh, but huge buy it. I, I loved yeah, it. it. Like Chip Zdarsky had his chance uh, he, for about a year writing Johnny and Ben in Marvel 2 and 1 before they actually brought back so the FF. Good. It was so good. Dude kills it. Yeah. And they should have just been like, Chip, you proved it. Here's your FF. Yep. Thanks, man. I kind of agree. So that is a double buy it for Protector number one and a double buy it for X-Men Fantastic Four number one. It's been a little while since we have done that. Insane. We'll post our written reviews over to Edit Nerd. Oh, since we've had all buy it you mean. Yes. Yeah. So Thing fans can forever brag about that page where he beat old man Logan to death with the body of young man Logan. I did not <laughs> see that coming. Spoilers! But we need to know what you nerds thought of these comics, too. So call us this weekend on THN Cover to Cover. I just told you about it. It's from 11 to noon. I'm not telling you anything else. Just be there, okay? Before we leap into the ludicrous speed round, let's turn it over to the official THN bartender, Justin Robert Fletcher, to introduce the cocktail of the week. Brought to you by O'Corant on the Benson's trip 
right here in Omaha, Nebraska. If you haven't made your Valentine's Day reservations, you're too goddamn late. Oh, shit. That place is full. Yowzers. It's swole, even. Wow. Take it away, Mr. Fletcher. Okay, so this is a gin on gin drink. I'm calling it completely erroneous. It's made with erroneous berry. I didn't realize that was the connection. Yeah. Yeah, nerds. <laughs> uh, made with erroneous berry. It's made with uh, Brokers London Style Dry Gin, uh, Plymouth Slow Gin, um, Sugar, and Sfumato, which is one of my favorite Amaros. Uh, this is what Joe will like. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a nice ginny punch, but the thing about it is it's made for people that don't really like gin or think about it. If they like gin, this is an entry-level gin drink. Fair enough. Okay. How am I serving? I'm kind of liking it to an Aperol spritz and the flavor profile. Okay, yeah. Okay, when I you get there, that. you're going to serve this on rocks. Um, so you do an ounce and a half of Brokers. Um, this, this drink is also going to be bigger than what I gave you when I, when I break these measurements down. But Aronia Berry... Uh, half ounce aronia berry, half ounce slow gin, half ounce uh, sugar, quarter ounce fumato, one and a half ounce brokers. So okay. it's kind of, I mean, this is a lot. It's two ounces of gin. Yeah, it's pretty much all booze. Yes. Um, you're going to just shake that because I like to shake anything that's got a shrub in it. Sure. Um, it just it brings the flavor out. So you're going to shake that. Throw it over ice in a rocks glass. Ooh. Express lemon peel on it just to lift it. Done so. I love it. Now with drink in hand, join us as we review eight more of this Wednesday's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed, go! Okay, I'm just going to go ahead and say this. Agretsuko, number one from Oni. Agretsuko, yeah. <laughs> uh, here is a little bit of background if you are old like me. Agretsuko, also known by its original Japanese title, Aggressive Retsuko. Oh, see, now that makes more sense. Sure, Aggressive Retsuko. Yeah, it's a <laughs> Japanese anime musical comedy franchise based on the eponymous character created by Yeti, in quotes, for the mascot company Sanrio see, of Hello Kitty fame. Why didn't you just say that first? I, I would have known exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Retsuko is a 25-year-old and single fellas. Hey-o. Anthropomorphic red panda who works in the accounting department of a Japanese trading firm. That's what pandas do. Yeah. Right? They Fa- count. <laughs> Facing constant frustration every day from pushy superiors and annoying co-workers, Retsuko lets out her emotions by going to a karaoke bar every night and singing death metal. Oh, man. This is so purely Japanese. Like, this is like a Japanese fucking Mad Lib. <laughs> like, it's, it's so popular that it got picked up by Netflix and they're on their third season or the third season's coming. Really? Yeah. It is like a f- cultural phenomenon. Okay. I did not know anything about it. Yeah. Uh, I had to look all this up after reading this issue because other than the fact that she works in an office and it's kind of a drag, nothing about the concept or the character is really introduced by writer Daniel Barnes. The script reads like one of those hyperactive Cartoon Network shorts. Right. I don't mean the ones that come on at night, like Adult Swim style. I mean the ones that they air at like 4 o'clock, where it's like Gumball or whatever the fuck it's called. And it's just like hyperactive nonsense. I love Gumball. I, uh, <laughs> bad example, great. bad example. <laughs> it felt like walking in a dozen episodes into the second season of a show you've never seen nor heard of before. Written by crack addicts. Yeah. <laughs> DJ Kirkland does a fine job matching the show's aesthetic However, the show's ultra-sparse, drab backdrop, I'm talking like four lines. There it is. Oh, Jesus. 
It is not a good look on the still page. It is boring. Now, I will admit, I'm probably not the audience for this, but Agritsuko number one did not work for me at all. It's a leave it. Okay. I'm sorry. That was the longest ludicrous speedrun review. That really was. I really needed to get dig into Agritsuko. <laughs> Doctor Strange, the end from Marvel. This one came out last week. Doc gets his final chapter written by Lee Williams with a surprise ending that I really enjoyed. Philippe Andrade is just amazing on art. Love that guy. Drawing an aging Stephen Strange whose powers are beginning to fail him in his final days as the last magic user on Earth. His thin line style reminded me of a less detailed Charles vests here, but just as expressive. Chris O'Halloran's colors and digital effects give the story an otherworldly tone that reinforce Strange's isolation as he walks the earth, speaking to Wong's ghost. This was a wonderful script by Williams, who Joe and I have been very 50-50 on for a while, but when she nails it, she really nails it. I loved what she did in the end of this. I'm giving it a massive buy-in. Nice. The man who effed up time from Aftershock. And I'm sorry, but if you F something up, it's F apostrophe E-D. Not this E-F-F-E-D bullshit. Look, man, the actual the, uh, the actual cover, it's F Grawlix okay. symbol. So. Good. Uh, this is number one, by the way. Chew writer John Lehman is back with this look at the ridiculous ramifications of unchecked time travel when lab assistant Sean Bennett goes back in time just one single week to improve his station in life, he finds himself on the run in an alternate reality dystopia where Abe Lincoln survived his trip to the theater and his descendants rule the world with an iron <laughs> fist. The That's cops great. ride dinosaurs. <laughs> the buildings are like pyramid shaped. One week did this. One week, yeah. <laughs> it's a great premise. And artist and co-creator Carl Mostert delivers some excellent art that reminded me a lot of a younger Frank Quietly. Very kind of thin line. Sometimes upsettingly detailed and like, I don't need to count that guy's pores. You know what I'm saying? Oh, gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's wonderful. Uh, there's also some pretty funny back matter that fleshes out the world. The Man Who Effed Up Time number one was an awesome surprise. Really looking forward to more. I'm giving it a buy it. Ant-Man number one from Marvel. I can't believe you hated it. I just pulled You on. hated it. I did not. Zeb Wells makes his triumphant return to take on the new Ant-Man series that picks up with the same jokes used in all the most recent Ant-Man comics. I am not asking for a hyper-serious Ant-Man story, but shouldn't the Marvel U be taking him a little more seriously by now? No! The story, Why? The story is cute and introduces some new fun bug-based bad guys, but it's certainly not taking any chances with the character. Dylan Burnett has some cool art, but seems to go out of his way to draw some really silly panels you too. Dummy. I liked what he was doing here, but there were some panels that just felt like a seriously talented artist trying to be silly enough to match Wells' silly script. This wasn't bad, and the last page had a fun overpowered supervillain surprise, but it did feel like more of the same stuff you loved from the movies, so you'll love the comic type Ant-Man. That's how they do it! It's time to start doing something with Scott Lang. Or let him be a funny side character. I'm just saying, let's give him a chance to do something. I like the character. Why can't he be a funny main character? We've seen plenty of this. I'm giving it a skim it. It That's was, not I loved it. I thought it was excellent. It's all yours. Justice League, number 39 and 40. That's right. DC. Overachiever. Just one week after Scott Snyder's final issue failed to actually conclude his years-long cosmic epic. Yep. 
Gee, fuck that guy. D Sorry, I take that back. Not, not too mean. Too mean. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that storyline. <laughs> okay, there you go. DC swings the pendulum so far in the opposite direction, I felt like I was reading a different comic book series altogether. In Justice League 39, instead of the actual conclusion we were promised, Snyder has the League link arms and Care Bear stare their way through a magic door yeah. in an attempt to link up the jumbled continuities of the main DCU. I guess. I think that's what happened. Sure. Doomsday Clock, Young Justice, and more. You know the drill. Yeah, all their super icons shot off their chest. Yeah. <laughs> there was a Bizarro riding a dinosaur. Was that from Dark Knight's Metal? I don't even remember that. I think maybe. Uh, I think so, maybe. Uh, we don't actually get to see what happens because it's all in the service of his next big event, the sequel to the aforementioned Dark Knight's Metal. <sighs> Justice League 40 ignores all of that completely for a story so boilerplate it reads like a fill-in issue that was sitting in some editor's drawer. I was looking forward to Robert Venditti stepping back from Snyder's meta-cosmic nonsense. We talked about it on the show. Sure. It was too much. Too far. Too far. To top it off, this issue features some of the worst Doug Mankey art I've seen. It was bad. I know. And Doug Mankey is a master. Yes. Like, this was bad. I don't know if it's Richard Friend's inks or what, but much of the issue looked muddled and unfinished. There's no denying the level of talent on this title, but Justice League continues to miss the mark for me. I can only give it a skim it. So there's a scene in Black Stars number two, and I just, I'm sorry, but I have to read this. It's so wonderful. It's Superman talking to Hal Jordan, who's a bad guy now, just like, what the hell have you done, Hal? And he's talking about the Justice League. He's like, the Justice League wrapped up in interminable battles with ever more gargantuan, more primordial, and above all, more reliably anthropomorphic cosmic super non-entities. Every month, <laughs> it seems these hyper-creatures or their close relatives attack from some hitherto unsuspected, barely thought-out region of the new depression-verse, scientists have discovered. That is so perfectly Scott Snyder. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that is kind and of it what just, it was Grant like. Morrison just firing one across Scott yeah. Snyder's bow. So good. And the thing is, is that they learned it by watching him, yes. but he did it well. Right. Exactly. Yeah. And he's killing it right now in his Green Lantern series. Yeah. It's fantastic. Yes. Adler, number one from Titan. You sorted it out, I see. Ooh, Sherlock's female equal and sometimes fling gets her own series starring several other literary female heroes. The script jumps around a bit, but it takes a fun turn when Moriarty not only shows up but may need Irene Adler's help. Paul McCaffrey's detailed art and crosshatch style makes this book ooze with style. It is amazing to look at. His character designs and his backgrounds are beautiful and easily the real star here. The story is clever and fun, playing on what happened during other Sherlock Holmes stories while the detective found himself indisposed. There's a line where they're like, I heard he was dealing with a giant dog. <laughs> <laughs> while the script was a bit spastic, it was still a fun read, and there's a lot to like with this take on Irene Adler. I'm giving it a bite. I thought the art was great. A uh, little bit of inside baseball for you. Yeah. Uh, we received a, a PDF copy, review copy, provided by Titan Comics. Right. Who should know how to do this by now. The English do things different over there. Apparently. Instead of just being a PDF document that you read from page to page, scrolling from top to bottom. Right. 
they had inexplicably like double-sided them, but the PDF reader wouldn't show it that way. Yeah. It was and, like impossible to decipher. There were other pages that were just one right in the middle. Right, like, yeah. What is going on? Yeah, it was. Do I read that first? <laughs> like Matt and I it had. Was to, like the first time I picked up a Dragon Ball Z reprint <laughs> and was like, this doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, Matt, Matt had to text me in the middle of the night. He's like, can you look at this? Because I don't know if I'm going yeah, crazy like, am or I what? insane? <laughs> yeah, hey, pro tip, guys. PDFs, single images, straight right. down the column. Come on. The Amazing Spider-Man Daily Bugle, number one from Marvel. I do love a good procedural set in a comic book universe. You really wanted to like I this. I did. Your Gotham's Central and whatnot. You know what I mean. Uh, so I was pretty excited to revisit the cast of the Daily Bugle, who I feel is not highlighted enough these days. Unfortunately, when writer Matt Johnson does focus on the day-to-day -day reality of print journalism, he doesn't really have anything new to say that we weren't already doing in Daily Bugle stories yeah. 10 years ago. It's like, print is dead. Digital is the future. Wait, what? No shit. <laughs> you remember when they did Ultimate Spider-Man 20 years ago and they made him a web developer? Yeah. <laughs> There's a super-powered plot simmering as well, and I, I just am not sure that that's what I was looking for in a book like this. I read half of this and quit. It's not even bad. It's just no. there's, there's way too much Spider-Man stuff and not enough Peter Parker. Yeah. The art from Mac Chatter and Francesco Mobili does manage to deliver a slightly grittier real-world feel that suits this kind of story. Overall, though, Daily Bugle number one is kind of a mixed bag, but I did enjoy spending time with old favorites like Ben Yurick and Robbie Robertson, so I'm giving it a skim. <laughs> Boy. Cat shit one, number one from Antarctic Press. Motofumi Kobayashi is a manga master. And yes, he's telling a gritty war story here starring anthropomorphic guinea pigs, rabbits, and cats. But you cannot deny his comic book storytelling abilities. We see Sergeants Perky, Rats, and Batansky in Vietnam on three different missions deep in the shit. Motofumi's line is incredible. And he, even though he's drawing cute, fuzzy animals fighting in the most intense of combat situations. He captures real emotion and pays very close attention to detail on everything from weapons to uniforms to planes. Cat Shit 1 was a short anime that I fell in love with years ago, and I am thrilled Antarctic Press is printing the original mangas and doing so in American comic book form so ADD-addled morons like myself can pay attention. I'm giving this a buy it. I'll have to check that out. I, it was I, cool. I, I usually do not pay attention to Antarctic Press. That is your ludicrous speed round end. Is the sound of Junji Ito meeting his cat Yan for the first time? See, everything more is like a moop, moop. Yeah, sure. It's <laughs> probably know, it's more like, whimsical. You don't look at a cat and go, I mean, moop. it's Junji Ito, though, so. Horror. Yeah, yeah so it's that cat, like, moop. No, but the thing of it is, it's like he does all this terrifying horror stuff, but I'm pretty sure the cat diaries. Just like I love cats, guys. Really chill, <laughs> straight up cat diary. Yeah. Uh, this is seen in the pages of Junji Ito's cat diary, colon, yawn, and moo. This onomatopoeia of the week was submitted by Adam Wednesday via Facebook. Here's a pro tip for the people that keep submitting me random Mad Magazine sound effects. I need to know what's happening yeah. and where it came from. It's That's true. the deal. You listen to the show. Yes. If you want to submit your own onomatopoeia of the week, you can post it to any of our social media accounts or send an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. And hey, do you want to help us stock the ziggurat bar? Click our Donate Now button and buy us a bottle of booze. Why don't you? Yeah, or just or just tip poor Justin. The guy's yeah, working for a living. Yeah, go to Oprah and say on. this is from THN. No, 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 no. I mean, like, press the Donate button. Oh, and, and say, like, this is a tip for Justin. Yeah, and for Justin. We'll be sure he gets yeah, it. Yeah, that's the... Dig it. He's a friend. 
<laughs> we will even mention you in the cocktail of the week segment. Who does not want to be famous? Tell you. Internet famous specifically. Look, I went to my holiday, my department holiday uh, party two months late <laughs> last night, and somebody asked me out of the blue, "How's your radio show going?" <laughs> I'm like, "My what?" <laughs> It's like, oh, you know, those KGR jerks, <laughs> they're hard to work with, but, uh, you know. You do but I got to tell a whole table full of people that have never heard us before about the about the two-headed nerd. Huh. And they could have heard your name, too. Wow. And the next day, you got fired. Oh. Yeah. Oh, I wasn't supposed to tell you yet. Sorry. Oh. Sorry. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, it's my fault, not yours. <laughs> that tracks. <laughs> Welcome to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where Joe and I are peering through the new Silly Eye of Thundera to research our must-read comics for next Wednesday. It doesn't just show you comics of the future, though. If you point it at a cartoon show that you loved as a kid, it'll make it look like an updated funny version. Now, I personally think that's hilarious, but some nerds seem to get really pissed off. I don't know. Joe Patrick, what is your must-read comic pick? for next Wednesday. I watched two trailers for that show today and I can't wait to see it. It looks hilarious. I know. It starts like this week, I think. Maybe. It I may have it, already aired. Yeah, I think it's this week. Okay, right. I want to say Friday. Well, I hope so. My pick is Superman Heroes. It's a one-shot from DC Comics written by Brian Michael Bendis, Matt Fraction, Greg Rucka, and Jody Hauser. First Jody Hauser DC work? No. That can't be. She worked on Wonder Woman. Jody Hauser did? Yeah. You look that up. It's sure got that. art by Kevin McGuire, Steve Lieber, and Mike Perkins. It's 48 pages for $5.99, and here's your solicit. Lois Lane, Jimmy Olsen, the staff of the Daily Planet. She worked on Supergirl. Okay, there you yeah. go. Even the Justice League, their lives all changed when Superman revealed his secret identity to the world. This unique Superman experience explores what the identity of Clark Kent meant to those close to him and what their relationship to Superman will be in the future. All the rules are about to change, and it all starts here. I am loving this secret identity storyline in yeah, Superman. Man, it's good. It's, it's so it's, good. It's really, really great in Superman, and then in action comics, John Romita Jr. draws it, and I don't want to read it. <laughs> but uh, I'm excited for this. I, I, I'm especially intrigued by the reactions of his peers, yeah. because in the issue where he does it, we see various people reacting, and you like Wonder Woman's got her arms crossed. She's looking all pissed. Yeah. Uh, I want to know. I want to know what's going on. Well, you know what Batman has to say, I'm sure. Batman smiled. So I don't know. Well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Matt, what's your pick? My pick is Green Lantern season two, number one. We are out of the Black Stars and back to GL. Is it still called The Green Lantern? I, maybe. I don't mm. know. The one yeah, I saw just said Green Lantern. Whatever. From DC, it's written by Grant Morrison with art by Liam Sharp. It is 40 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. The team of writer Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp continue their bold new take on the Emerald Warrior in a wild 30-page second season opener in the wake of the Black Star incursion. Hal Jordan and his fellow Lanterns must pick up the pieces from the cataclysmic conclusion. Among them is Jordan's next critical mission. Search for the next generation of cosmic immortals. Is the universe ready for the young guardians? Ooh. Yeah, Grant Morrison murdered the guardians. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's because fuck it. It's Grant Morrison. Let him do whatever yeah. he wants, man. <laughs> I need to get caught up on that. God I, damn, it is so good. Yeah. Oh, I love it. 
the THN trade of the week goes to J and K. It's a hardcover from Fantagraphics Books. It's I was like J and K H C. J and K H C. It's written and drawn by John Fam. It's 144 pages for 39.99. It's a hardcover. Yeah, yeah. Sounds steep, but it's hear me cover. out. Here's on. your solicit. It's not just a hardcover. J and K follows the misadventures of a pair of idiots navigating life in the modern world, like Seinfeld mixed with peanuts. J and K is also a singular art object unto itself. As J and K reference pop culture ephemera, these artifacts are made real and will be included as separate extras and inserts to the book. An issue of, quote, cool magazine, posters, stickers, and even a five-inch vinyl record. Cool. It's fun for all ages, printed in three fluorescent Pantone inks. Damn. That part's cool. Yeah. Uh, according to this, J and K will be one of the most unique and eye-popping releases of 2019. Well, bad news. It's 2020. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not how that works. <laughs> so, yeah, it's yeah, it's a hardcover for 40 bucks with not that many pages, but it's got all the artifacts yeah. from the stories. That's fun. Made real. That's I fun. love when they do stuff like that. Yeah. Um, the, the, you remember that book, The Three Geeks, and it came with that cassette tape that one time? Totally, yeah. Uh, uh, Chris Ware's Building Stories, which is just this on, like, the most massive scale. Yeah. Uh, it's great. I love it when they make little tchotchkes to go with their stories. Because you're a nerd. These are just a few of the comics hitting the new shelves at your LCS next week, but we want to hear about your must-read picks. Joey loves tchotchkes. And which updated cartoon ruined your childhood and turned you into the crying monster that you are today? Head to the THN forums and let us know what you're reading, but also let us know what you want us to read and review on the show. Casual Comics Guy just shot us something to check out, actually. He did, the other yes. Day on yeah, Twitter. Absolutely. We're going to do it. And don't forget to pre-order all your picks every week. You're not even going to, like, address my Joey Loves Tchotchkes joke? No. It's been a minute, but we're happy to announce that the rumors of his death have been greatly exaggerated. Ladies and gentle nerds, live from Mushroom Manor, it's stately Lord Fungus! Live from Mushroom Manor, I am, and always will be, stately Lord Fungus, welcoming you to Tales from the Manor, Volume 34, Issue 531 of a 7,000 issue mini-arc summer crossover that will change the universe forever. It's been a while since I last had you over to visit. I blame that on a mixture of work, holidays, and an incapacity to speak after turning our stables into a bong and getting wankered with Winston, the manor's residential dragon. As always, we're thousands of years behind the US in terms of streaming shows, and my decision to go full retrade, never go full retrade, has seen me slip backwards into the past, like an octopus escaping an angry seaman with a knife and a hard-on for fish. This week saw the beginning of the Chinese New Year of the rat, so I thought it'd be fun to chase one and tickle it until it spilled its secrets about what goes on in Uncle Tarquin's room after 9pm. But instead, we had a smashing chat about comic book rats. Arguably, the most recognisable rat in comic books is Master Splinter. I do not wish to fight, but cast a stone into the lake. And the ripples will return to you. Is he Hamato Yoshi reincarnated or simply Yoshi's pet rat? Either way, he's the adopted father and leader of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
kicking ass since Mirage Studios first published their adventures in 1984. If you'd like to be super depressed for a week, then read the absolutely incredible and deeply moving Mouse, or go medieval with those foul-mouthed rat queens. Now, Brits like me grew up reading the Desert Rats in Commando comics. OK, I cheated a bit there. And finally, let's not forget the incredible John Byrne Lab Rats for DC back in the early twos. Right, while my next test subject is undressing, I've got a minute to bring back the beloved nerd word of the week. This segment used to be called the Queen's English, but I'm afraid her Madge is frightfully busy with the grandkids at the moment, especially the ginger one. This time, we'll look at the word expurgifactor. It means something that wakes you up unexpectedly. In context... Bloody hell, woman, thine snoring is a proper expurgifactor. You shutteth the fucketh up. So that's me spent for another session, but I'll see you next time for the February Manor Classic Russian Roulette with Chickens and Electricity. Until then, it's farewell from the manor and into my gym jams for another long night of flicking myself in the nuts just to feel alive. Bye for now. Excelsior! That is it for THN 560, and next time on the show, we'll be apologizing for my Oscar gambling locks. Joe, before our auto defense systems start cutting down Federal Gaming Commission agents, why don't you ask these nerds a new question of the week? This is why we stopped having Oscar parties, because it's no fun to watch it with you. Because I'm too good at gambling. You just take what the bookmakers say and put it on your sheet. You know what that's called? That's not being good at gambling. That's called gambling. That's not being good at gambling. You look at the odds and you call your shot. Uh This week's question was submitted by Patrick Kavanaugh via Facebook. We've been sitting on it for a good three weeks now. Yeah, no excuses. You've had plenty of time to do your damn homework. Washman knocked it out of the park with its music cues, picking just the right song for the right moment. What do you think is the best music cue? We're not talking about your favorite song from a score or a soundtrack, but the best use of music in a particular moment in a movie or, I suppose, TV show. It usually happens in a movie. Like when Elder Barge starts playing in Short Circuit and Johnny Five does the dance with the break dancers. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it gets me every time. (laughs) Who's Johnny? Yeah, nothing's going to stop us now and Mannequin. You got it. You get it. Exactly. Uh, Now, Patrick, in the chat last week during Cover to Cover, he pointed out he's not talking about movie scores Hmm. he's talking about licensed music but he is not the boss of us but there's also like there could be like a scene where the score swelled and the shark you know bites the boat and you're like oh we're gonna need a bigger boat anything goes but uh, this this question is specifically pointed at licensed music used in nerdy stuff gotcha Uh, as always we are looking for question of the week suggestions but I have to say, you guys have been killing it on the forums. Great job. Keep them coming. I think I've got one I want to do this week, though. Okay. Write it in the script. And it's based on one that I did on Twitter not too long ago that people freaked out on. I did not see it coming. If you're new to this show and you want to file a formal complaint with Apple Podcasts for hosting this kind of pointless filth, I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital longbox archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. But... Posting that many episodes, it ain't cheap. So we want to thank donors like John Littrell, that beautiful bastard. He doesn't have any money. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to occasional love slave Ryan Hebrews Mount and his lovely bride, Lisa. They just announced that they have another little one on the way. Oh, congratulations, Lisa. Do you know who the father is? (laughs) 
baby mount is due to show up in July. Mazel tov and word to you, he bruises. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or a retailer might just emancipate their relationship with you. This is a two-headed nerd signing off. I mean, when you're an adult, you don't really need to be emancipated. Yeah, I mean, you don't know. You know. You're right. I'm not an expert. What are you, some kind of kid lawyer? All of a <laughs> I am not a kid lawyer. <laughs> Joe Patrick, kid lawyer. <laughs>